0: Do you know anybody who's gone insane or it seems like people have gone insane? In this episode, I'm going to explain why that's happened. The following is the audio version of a video released at peakprosperity.com. Visit peakprosperity.com to watch the video and to find other insightful content such as articles, discussion forums, and exclusive subscriber-only content. Hello everyone, Dr. Chris Martinson here. Very, very important program today. You know, we are talking about science a lot. Today we're going to be talking about the psychology of what's happening. I will tell you, I'm having lots and lots of offline conversations with some very prominent people, many of them who you will have heard about, know about, who are all talking about this subject right now, which is what has happened to the fellow humans who I used to know and love. Something crazed has gone on, and we talk about this over at Peak Prosperity relatively frequently, probably most uh, elegantly here on this day back in August, I guess now. Yeah. Talking about mass psychosis, this is a really important topic. What does this have to do with you? Well, everything. You probably know people who have gone psychotic, it seems. People who you can't communicate with anymore, people who are full of conviction but don't want any data that might counteract their conviction, that has nothing to do with science. So we have to wander over into the field of psychology. Really, really important. By the way, when we go into part two of this today over at my website, we're really going to be going into what I consider to be fairly important material. So I would invite you to consider checking that out. We have an incredible growing community of people who are concerned about this and really... Thinking about what are we going to do about it as individuals. All right. With that said, really cool article came out back in February of 2021 around mass hysteria, titled here COVID-19 and the political economy of mass hysteria. What does this mean? Let's take a look. As you know, I got to get my drawing tool out here. In a mass his- nope, didn't get it. Yep. Ah, I got it. In a mass hysteria, people of a group start to believe that they might be exposed to something dangerous such as a virus or a poison or a witch or vapors or a ghost something they believe a threat to be real that's all that matters is the belief because someone says so or because it fits their experience due to the threatening delusion a large group of people gets collectively very upset any of this ringing a bell for you so far In other words, a threat, whether real or imaginary causes collective anxiety, the group members may even start to feel sick, physically sick. That's a psychogenic illness. Group members may also get symptoms of sickness, including weakness or headaches or a choking feeling, which are propagated to other persons. Fear is the mind killer, but psychosis is also a spreadable, communicable disease, and I'm gonna be making the case here today that it's not a really rare event. It's actually a thing for humans. It happens all the time. And we should not believe that we're immune to it today because we happen to be alive today. Oh, those silly people back then were so much more sophisticated today. Not the case. So I'm gonna make that case today and we're gonna look at it because that has enormous and profound implications for you, for your loved ones, for your life, for the future, for how things are gonna turn out, or if things are gonna get worse before they get better. When a mass hysteria causes physical symptoms, it's called a mass psychogenic illness or epidemic hysteria. The symptoms are caused by the stress and anxiety people experience due to the perceived threat. Again, real or imaginary doesn't really matter. Mass hysteria is infectious and may be a contributing and amplifying factor in real epidemics. Nice paper here. I'm not going to go through all of it for you, just a couple more pieces, but really begins to unpack the science behind this and a lot of other data we can bring to this understanding of what a mass psychosis really is. So here's an example. What are we talking about? Give me a real example, Chris. They wrote in this paper, they said another interesting and more recent case are the effects of an episode of the Portuguese TV show Strawberries with Sugar. In the show, the characters got infected with a life-threatening virus. After the episode had been broadcasted, more than 300 Portuguese students fell ill. They reported symptoms similar to the ones that the TV show characters had experienced. Among these symptoms were rashes and difficulties uh, to breathe. As a result of these symptoms, several schools in Portugal actually closed. However, an investigation of of the Portuguese National Institute for Medical Emergency concluded that the virus did not exist in reality, and that the symptoms were caused by anxiety watching the show, i.e. the symptoms were caused by mass hysteria. So it's either that or there was some unexplained thing that happened, but let's go further. Let's look at another example just to make this clear what we're talking about. There's another recent case of mass hysteria connected to a virus. On Emirates Flight 203 in September of 2018, some passengers were showing flu-like symptoms, and that's true, When other passengers observed these symptoms, they started to feel sick as well, and a panic broke out. The panic reached such an extent that the whole flight was quarantined once it had reached New York. The investigation after the incident showed that only a few passengers actually had a seasonal flu or a common cold. Indeed, the diseases um, are an ideal ground for a mass hysteria to develop. So, what happened? People are on a flight. They see a few sick people, some people start to catch that vibe, and next thing you know, this whole plane believes that it's ill and is displaying symptoms of that. People were taken off this flight in ambulances, they couldn't breathe, they were super sick, and then it all cleared up. There's example after example after example like this, it happens. So, here's the hypothesis or the observation. Sometimes, when a group of people begins to act a certain way, that behavior spreads like contagion through that population police know about this is the mob rule there's a difference between a group of people protesting and a mob or a riot there's a dividing line it's sharp as can be and once you cross that line that mob is a whole different beast it's not something you can contain easily before the mob develops you can actually reason with individuals individuals will take their own private reasoning into account and the police know that so you can find a few troublemakers or make an example out of a couple of people and everybody else will watch that and go hmm I'd rather that didn't happen to me but once it flips into mob something else is happening and then all of a sudden the police can't make examples of individuals because it's no longer behaving like a collection of individuals it's behaving like a mob so this mass psychosis is a thing so here it took over an airplane and people All felt they were getting sick, but it gets even weirder than that. There was a plague, something called the Dancing Plagues. It struck during the Middle Ages where people would just start dancing, and uh, let's look at the description of it here. It's it's just fascinating. Dancing mania, also known as Dancing Plague Choreomania. I like that. Somebody trying to put a 50-cent word on something. I like Dancing Plague better. St. John's Dance, uh, Tarantism, St. Vitus's Dance, uh, was a social phenomenon that occurred primarily in mainland Europe between the 14th and 17th centuries. So it had a nice 300-year run. It involved groups of people dancing erratically, sometimes thousands at a time. The mania affected adults and children who danced until they collapsed from exhaustion and injuries. One of the first major outbreaks was in Aachen in the Holy Roman Empire, modern-day Germany, in 1374. And it quickly spread throughout Europe. One particularly notable outbreak occurred in Strasbourg in 1516 and in Alsace in the Holy Roman Empire now France. So somewhere somebody started dancing like a nut it spread and it spread across countries and through the centuries with no social media involved. So just to show you this is a human thing it happened back in the Middle Ages and it really wasn't isolated it's there's tons of examples of what this looked like in other countries, other cultures, other eras—it's a thing that broke out. So this is an example of a mass psychosis event. There's some thing that triggers, and once something elevates to a mass psychosis event, there's no reasoning with these people. There's no sitting down somebody who's dancing themselves to exhaustion and saying, "Look, there's no reason for you to be doing this. This is harming the rest of your life. Maybe you shouldn't be doing this." Hey, I've got some studies. Wait. You can't reason with people who are in the grips of a mass psychosis. They are under the spell of something else, something that operates at the meta level across human cultures. How common is this? It's so common that you go to Wikipedia, which does have a few uses. This would be one where they can list things reasonably well. Can't trust them for any politics, geopolitics, or personal stuff like that, or anything that has any bias left or right. They're very biased in their own way. But listing stuff they're okay at that. Look at this, look at all these lists. We have to list them by, by eras, middle ages, 1500 to 1800, 1800 to 1950, 1950 to 2000, 2000 to present. They're sort of bucketed, and there's tons of examples in each one of these buckets. So let's talk about it. In sociology and psychology, mass hysteria is a phenomenon that transmits collective illusions of threats, whether real or imaginary, through a population and society As a result of rumors and fear, or it could be the result of actual misinformation. So what's an example of that? We saw in a recent Bill Maher episode that I showed on this show a little while ago, he was looking at a Gallup poll where they'd asked Democrats, independents, Republicans, what's the chance of you going to the hospital if you catch COVID? Now, among Democrats, it was shown that 41% of Democrats thought that you had a 50% or greater chance of going to the hospital if you caught COVID, where the actual number was somewhere between 1% and 5%, and with early treatments, probably would be even lower than that. But somehow, they had an exaggerated threat that was showing across a partisan landscape, where Democrats were far more likely to believe that they had an outsized chance of threat of going to the hospital and presumably dying from COVID than actually existed. Not by a little bit, by by a factor of anywhere from 50 to 10, somewhere in that zone, right? Whether it was 1% or 5%. They thought a 50% chance of going to the hospital. So with that level of perceived threat, where did that come from? Well, Did they just develop that idea on their own? No, that was an active program of misinformation and obfuscation and lack of context and poor reporting and pushing a fear agenda that some people are very invested in pushing that ultimately resulted in a whole population of people believing that they were facing a far, far greater threat than they actually were. So look at the first line in this. This is a phenomenon, mass hysteria is a phenomenon that transmits collective illusions of threats whether real or imaginary. So that's step one of a mass hysteria or a mass psychosis or even a mass psychogenic illness is a threat. But it's a threat that's sort of nebulous and you can't really get your arms around. So naturally, a virus is an extraordinary mass psychosis potentiating event because by definition, you can't see it. You can't really know it. You have to trust that it's even there in many cases unless you've had direct experience with it. So that's at least, I think, what this paper is talking about has happened. So let's look into this a little bit more. Um, So here's some examples of a mass hysteria, Middle Ages style. According to an account which was written by an author in 1784, a nun who lived in a German convent in the 1400s began to bite her companions. The behavior soon spread through other convents in Germany, Holland, and Italy. Now, I'm not real clear how how you could transmit a, virus, a mind virus like that in the 1400s across three different countries. Yeah, Somebody's got to have this like idea that they want to bite people as a psychotic uh, break, and then they got to take that to another convent, and they got, it's got to spread. It's just this, that at least right there, that account alone will show you that this mind virus, this mass hysteria, this psychosis can spread more easily than we might imagine, because somehow it had to spread, and it probably didn't spread by somebody just talking about it. They had to bring that mind virus with them, I would think. That's a hypothesis. Next, according to J.F. Hecker's 1844 book, Epidemics of the Middle Ages, citing an unnamed medical textbook, a nun who lived in a French convent during an unspecified time in the Middle Ages inexplicably began to meow like a cat, shortly leading the other nuns in the convent to meow as well. Eventually, all the nuns in the convent would meow together for a certain period, leaving the surrounding community astonished. This did not stop until the police threatened to whip the nuns. Well, yeah, that's, that's usually how you have to get something to stop. You get the police to threaten to whip somebody. So that's, uh, that happened. So that's, that's the Middle Ages, those crazy Middle, Age people, Middle Ages people. Uh, how about this? Writing tremor epidemic, this happened in 1892, again in 1904, the right hand of a 10-year-old girl in Gros Tins began trembling, which developed into full-body seizures that spread to 18 other students. A similar epidemic affected 20 in Basel, Switzerland. Twelve years later, the Basel school experienced another outbreak that affected 27 students. Legend of the first outbreak was said to have played a role. And in 1894, 60 students at a lady seminary suffered an outbreak of fits and seizures, some lasting for as long as two months. Trembling disease happened among an estimated 237 children uh, in Meissen, Germany, on and on and on and on. There's literally dozens of things just like this where, you know, whether we're talking about flight 203 and the passengers on the plane or we're talking about nuns or children, it happens. So this is a feature of humans, I'm calling it a thing. We have so it's a thing. It's not like a crazy random something that happened once. It happens over and over again. In fact, it has features that we can begin to decode and understand so that we can ask and answer the question, are we today in the grips of a mass psychosis? And if so, is it dangerous or is it something relatively harmless like people trembling for a month or two? Or is it something that could lead to something more dramatic? There was a mass fear panic that gripped France right before the French Revolution that resulted in the deaths of tens of thousands of people in that country as a consequence of that panic morphing into something else, which we could more rightly call a mass psychosis than anything. If you want a really gruesome piece of history, go look up the bridge at Nantes during the French Revolution and look up something called an underwater marriage. Thousands of people were drowned off of that bridge and in that area of, of, the, of the river for months. and Nobody can explain why it started and one day it stopped. It's just something that happened. So what do we know? Mass psychosis. Here are the elements. First, you need a fear. You need a threat. You need a, a hobgoblin of some kind. You need something that's creating for the individual a sense of fear a sense of dread a sense of not being safe and once you have that individual with that sense next thing is for that to jump and go across a group of people now we're in a mob at this point in time this mass psychosis jumps from the individual and it goes across a group of people so next thing you know 41 percent of democrats think there's a 50 percent chance of going to the hospital with covid and none of them could probably explain where or how they came to that idea this explains how that idea came about it comes through the process of mass psychosis and that happens but we have to add another kicker that really applies to our condition today and that pertains to social media and the role of players both uh let's call them state-sponsored official government uh, and or uh, just individuals but there are a variety of people out there who are in the business of spreading misinformation and that in- misinformation is really critical to this overall process and back in the middle ages i don't think people you know they had much poorer sources of information so i think that loop was a little tighter and slower or something like that but now We know that people are getting bad information, say, I don't know where they get it from, but in this example I gave before, Democrats are getting bad information from somewhere, some misinformation, probably from official sources, probably from places like the New York Times or Newsweek or MSNBC or wherever. Same thing on the right. Again, not partisan. I'm an up-down guy, not a left-right guy. But I am showing in this particular example that somehow, A group of people who would nominally be considered on the left of that left-right spectrum came up with some very bad information somehow about how dangerous the the virus was. Where did that come from? Probably came from official sources, what we call official mainstream media sources. So there's definitely a role that they have played in this. And then the last mass psychosis, psychosis element here is confusion. Having a sense of confusion is really, really important to keeping everybody off balance and not being able to gather their wits about them again so they can exit from that collective psychosis, the collective delusion, back into an individual position of being their own rational actor. So confusion is a really critical element. Now, this is why it bothers me that I see so many attempts by official people to sow confusion. If they can know better, and they should know better, and they probably do know better, and still choose to convey something in a way that promotes confusion, not clarity, they are specifically, purposely, deliberately, I would argue, adding to this process that we see right here, this one, mass psychosis. All right, who's done that most recently? Well, this guy. Um, I could play the video for you. It's in here, but I, don't, I won't necessarily do that because I can just read you. This is a quote, President Biden on enacting the vaccine mandates, this just came out October 7th in 2021, as you can see the date down there. President Biden said, quote, we're making sure healthcare workers are vaccinated because if you seek care at a healthcare facility, you should have the certainty that the people providing that care are protected from COVID and cannot spread it to you, end quote. That is false. And we've known that for months. And the White House obviously knows that and everybody in any position of authority knows that and anybody who's even looked at the data remotely knows that we know that both vaccinated and unvaccinated can have the same viral loads which means they can transmit it and spread it equally if they have the infection the only argument you could possibly make is that the vaccinated on average there's fewer of them that do get that breakthrough infection possibly but you can't say what he just said that's false And that deliberately creates confusion. So if you're watching this and you're listening to this, because we're wired to respect authority and the president of the United States, and he's got hundreds of staff and they have the best information and they have access to stuff you and I don't even know about. This wasn't Biden saying this. Somebody wrote those words and Biden said them. So it was him saying them. But a whole team of people vetted every single word in this speech and then delivered it to you and said, If you're vaccinated, you're protected from COVID and they cannot spread it to you, which is just wrong. So that leads to confusion right away because we know it's wrong and that's a confusing moment when you have something delivered with certainty that is patently false and those things just don't line up. Next thing you know, that's confusion. So the question is, is that deliberate confusion? And if so, is that part of this process? I'd have to guess so because for the president to say that is deliberate misinformation, because it's provably false. And it leads to a lot of confusion. So how about this take? Uh, This is from the Palmer report. And I didn't know who these people were before I came across this little uh, episode of insanity here. And then I looked into it and decided, yeah, these people are nuts. But um, they said here, uh, this attempt by unvaccinated Southwest airline employees at crippling US air travel is the latest reminder that it's a very short distance from anti-vaxxer to domestic terrorist. Full stop. That is insane. That is an insane take. To call somebody a domestic terrorist is saying, I want the full weight of the legal system and the United States government to come and land on these people because they're doing something I consider to be a domestic terrorist. So first thing is we've lost meaning of words. Terrorist should mean somebody who's using Physical violence and bodily harm to enact a political end. The Southwest Airline employees are advocating for their employee rights and operating within the legal contractual frameworks that exist to them to get concessions and or have a conversation with management about their needs and wants. How is <laughs> How's that terrorism? Right. But this person wants to call them an anti-vaxxer, which is label one, which is an othering process, which is part of this. Like if you want to have that mob running around, like saying, you know, we have to we have to kill all the witches in Salem in the 1600s in in Massachusetts. You have to create that othering. So anti-vax is an othering word. And then another othering concept is to call them domestic terrorists. All of this because these people simply wanted to exercise some of the contractual rights within a framework, which they've done many times in the past. By the way, not the first time that Southwest Union employees have advocated for their rights around things like scheduling, pay, time off, you name it. At any rate, this is insane. But you know what's even more insane? 2,000 retweets, 7,800 likes by the time I got to this. Uh, and by the way, it's it's gone much, much further since then. And then I noted this it was insane on my Twitter feed. And of course, I got blocked right away by Palmer Reports because. Well, I guess it's, it's if you want to if you want to advocate for a form of legal violence to be levied upon a group, it also makes sense that you're a fairly sensitive individual about any criticism of your point of view. I don't know how those two things go to together, but they kind of do. I had to look this guy up. There he is. There's the guy. That's a that's a face that I don't know. I I'm just I'm not getting a good vibe off of this. But I will tell you that somebody else sent me a screenshot of this and it had gone well over 5, 12,000 likes and many many thousands of retweets. So there are a lot of people who agree with this position, or Twitter just puts a lot of fake likes and, and retweets on there so that it can appear like a lot of people uh, agree with this. So either it's legit mass psychosis or Twitter is working hard to create mass psychosis, which is intentional. So some people might be caught up with it. Some other people might be doing it intentionally. We really need to figure this out because this is unacceptable. This is a completely unacceptable thing to do because, by the way, mass psychosis events have a sometimes uh, harmless sort of an end. You know, haha, some people accidentally went to the hospital. They didn't need to, didn't have the virus. The flight was not contaminated. Sometimes it ends in revolutions and other bad things. So it's, it's Tricky territory. I think one should not lightly create mass psychosis without a good plan. By the way, great, 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 if you haven't watched it, there is a YouTube video by uh, After School, S K O O L, and they talk about the role of fear in creating mass psychosis in something called menticide. Menticide is mind killer. So, That's the loss of one's ability to reason. So we come up out of our rational individual selves and we get dialed up into this menticide territory where um, we have the inability to really think things through and, and act rationally. And by the way, one of the things that is used or has been a feature of mass psychosis events in the past is relative periods of fear followed by calm and then more fear, a little higher. But wait, it calms down again. More fear. And then it calms down again. This has actually been my experience of COVID so far. Remember? Do you remember India? Like, it was, the news couldn't possibly talk about India fast enough or far enough or more. <laughs> it's like, oh, my God. India, people are dying. They're out of oxygen. It's horrible. They're having to burn people in giant pyres. And then the Indian COVID experience wave went away, and it's not talked about anymore. So this would be the media talking about India like crazy, and then they stop talking about it. It's like, just got a little calm, right? Same thing here. We're seeing these waves of terror, as it were. And by the way, if you start out down here with your mind open and free, you end up in a caged position up here is what they're going on. All right. Well, let me see if I can. Let me get my title. Click that title. Make that go away. So here's another example for me. This person says, like I said, I will proudly discriminate against anti-vax, This I I can find you dozens and dozens and dozens of expressions of this. Now, I can't be sure that Hafiz in this example is a real person and not a pharma Twitter bot troll that's just out to create this impression as a marketing device to drive higher sales. I don't really know. Here's uh, another person saying how anti-vaxxers do their research. And this is a, a, a spoof here down here, if you haven't seen it, where This poor gentleman has a million results saying one thing. And this woman, who's supposed to be Karen, I guess, in this example, says she has uh, different information she got off Facebook. And they're just mocking this idea that people could come by information from anything other than an official source like this guy with his big stack of papers. Uh, At any rate, this is you can clearly see the the there's a threat in here. Why would you proudly discriminate against anti-vax? Or why would you belittle somebody who you think has access to different information from you? It's because these people represent a threat to you. But if you ask these two people, assuming they're individuals, specifically, what threat do these people um, cause for you? What do they represent to you? How specifically would this person doing their own research, however they do it, be a threat to you? And I bet you anything they would not be able to complete that sentence for you because there's no there there, Right. You would have to be able to say something like, well, I could get COVID from them because they're not vaccinated, but I am. It's like, well, then we have to talk about, is your vaccine actually effective and is it working? And by the way, could it also be true that you as a vaccinated person could give COVID to them? That's also true. So now it gets a little less clear, that bright line as to Who's, who's actually a threat to whom, and it's not it's not obvious, but these people expressing it in this way need the threat to be completely obvious. Those are witches. We're the good, God-fearing people over here, right? Those are the people, you know, who are, th- those are ghosts over there. We're the live people of London, because there, there was a big ghost pandemic at one point in London as part of their mass psychosis events, or mass hysterias. Yeah, so this is a thing. So we see this all the time, and so that creates this othering, and it leads us to this idea which uh, also from that same wonderful video, confusion. Confusion is really important. It heightens the susceptibility of a descent into the delusions of totalitarianism. And totalitarianism is fundamentally the idea that there is a hierarchy and all the right answers are at the top. And the higher up the hierarchy you go, the, the more right the answers are. And there's only one right Thought to have. There's only one right set of morals. There's only one right set of values. There's only one right set of everything. And that's what totalitarianism is looking for is, is compliance and control. And if they have to, they will use coercion. But I picked this episode, this piece out as well, because fake news is a really important part of this dynamic. So, Is this a mass psycho? Is this real or a mass psychosis trick? I'm going to ask you this because this just came up today when I was going through my Twitter feed through uh, Occupy Democrats. They say breaking Hillary Clinton warns Americans that we are in the middle of a full constitutional crisis and under a dangerous high level attack on our elections and democracy that is led by Trump, funded by billionaires and fueled by Facebook retweet if you think hillary is right thousands of retweets and likes and things like that facebook i'm pretty sure facebook isn't on the same is not <laughs> isn't on that side of the story i'm pretty sure they're on well at any rate to me so l- look at the elements of this there's again some threat it's it's a it's a threat that that binds us together it creates a sense of othering witches on one side god-fearing puritan christians on the other it it creates that very strong sense of othering. So this group right here and expressing this in this way are very clearly saying, we like people really separated. We want them feeling really divided. And we're going to frame it under a fairly nebulous sort of a, a concept, which is a full constitutional crisis. By the way, I don't know if you can have a constitutional crisis if you don't actually have one that you're following, but that's a side point that I'll pick up at another time. So to me, this is an element of the kind of languaging you need to see if you want your mass psychosis event to continue. And it's becoming pretty profound and pretty obvious, and people are starting to pick sides. And by the way, could get bad. So let's let's talk about this in a... Let me let me sh- sort of go to the headwaters of this. New York Times, gushing, out of touch, as usual. I think they really lost the plot line a long time ago. Dr. Fauci, movie star, they're writing, Fauci, a new documentary, follows his work in two health crises, AIDS and the coronavirus pandemic. He agreed to participate as long as it didn't interfere with his work. Of course it interfered with his work. You can't participate in a documentary without it interfering with your work. It was obviously a priority. Dr. Fauci wanted to be a movie star. That's fine. Um, At any rate, two health crises, AIDS. By the way, if you've ever looked into Fauci during the AIDS crisis, he behaved monstrously back then, directly responsible for thousands of unnecessary deaths. Uh, And it's a really sordid story. Books have been written about it. It's actually it's well known history. I'm surprised the New York Times has given him a chance at rewriting that here. A little weird, New York Times. Uh says here, quote, Fauci, the movie, is for the most part a lot like Fauci the man. Straightforward and no nonsense. But the film which tracks Dr. Fauci through two infectious disease crises, AIDS, and the coronavirus pandemic that have served as bookends to his long career, also reveals his tender and playful sides, featuring old family footage of him shirtless and poolside with his children or doing a goofy dad dance. Hmm. 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 That sounds so nice. And in fact, they're not alone because there are a lot of people... Um, you know, this this woman took the opportunity to mock up that People magazine declared Dr. Anthony Fauci sexiest man alive, uh, using a picture, obviously, from the 1970s, uh, not a recent one. But at any rate, this is real. You know, look at this hottest men of the COVID-19 crisis. I did not make that list. Ah, whatever. So this is very real. So people are like idolizing this man. Right. And New York Times has seen the movie and describes it like this, right? I, look at this. Uh, they say, yeah, it tracks. It's straightforward, no nonsense. That's The movie is, for the most part, straightforward, no nonsense. That's the movie review by the New York Times. Well, hmm, it's a bit of a mystery because Fauci, the movie, is a bit of an earnings mystery. No info on box office take for gushing documentary about the COVID czar. What? Two weeks after theatrical release of a friendly portrait of Dr. Anthony Fauci, um, major film sites have no data on receipts, and distributors, National Geographic, and Magnolia Pictures are mum. Well, that's kind of weird because this information is always released. Good, bad, or the ugly. I mean, are you a rotten movie or a good one? They actually hid this information about Fauci the movie. Why would they hide that? Bit of a mystery. Hmm. You know what? I love mysteries. Let's dig into this one tiny bit. Documentaries often earn a fraction of what their fictional counterparts generate. At least those without names Moore or D'Souza attached. Fauci, a film detailing the scientific life of the nation's preeminent infectious disease expert, appeared to be an exception. Hmm, Sounds good so far. Dr. Anthony, Anthony Fauci has his detractors, certainly, particularly on the political right, but he's still the biggest name in medical science, thanks to his leadership on the COVID-19 pandemic and near constant media presence. The timing of the film's uh, September um, 10th limited release in cities including New York, Los Angeles, San Francisco, D.C., New Orleans, hey, that's a big, they're, they're hitting the big ones, seemed fortuitous, giving the aggressive Delta variant, except we're still waiting on the box office tally. No major film site. Think BoxOffice, Mojo.com, IMDB, uh, Rotten Tomatoes, or Box Office Pro has the film's earnings to date. Uh, these, these people reached out and nothing. Kind of weird, huh? So then I'm like, well, wait a minute. They released the trailer on YouTube. So I go over to YouTube, check it out. Here it is. So I'm going to call this example of misleading people because we want to. we want it, we got to This is the myth. This is the myth. This is... This is the press coverage. So when you have press coverage like this and this myth, you would think when you put out something like this on YouTube, it's going to do pretty well. So, well, let's look at it real quick. Uh Uh-oh. When I first came across this, there were 74,000 down thumbs, 7.2 thousand upvotes, 10 to 1 down ratio, 90%, 10%. That's awful. And then I went back the next day and those had been zeroed out. So they started over. So that's really cool. They started over. So I went back two days after that. And uh uh-oh, now it's at 7,700 up and 102,000 down. They'll probably have to zero that out again (laughs) because this thing's getting ratioed to hell. How about this? Fauci the movie, how'd it do on Rotten Tomatoes? Uh, uh Uh-oh says here, Rotten Tomato briefly turned off the ratings for the Fauci documentary, but now they've begrudgingly accepted the fact people hate this propaganda fluff piece. 91% down, 4% positive. I guess the other 5% couldn't be bothered to vote. I don't know what happened to it. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> this is the reality. The reality is like 10 to 1 or more people hate this movie because it's revisionist bullshit. And we hate that stuff. And we're tired of it. And the whole machine of New York Times and Rotten Tomatoes and all the box office, collectively, this, this institution of major media is trying to hoodwink us into thinking that Anthony Fauci is still this man up here. Sexiest man alive. Sexiest man alive, is that's a lot of downvotes for sexiest man alive. I, I don't know. That doesn't, doesn't look too cool to me. At any rate this will all be disappeared again. This is how this works. This will all go down the memory hole. You probably won't be able to find it again. That's why I take screenshots. So part of this whole thing to me is it's about creating the sense of confusion. Like, hey, wait, you keep telling me Anthony Fauci's revered, he's loved, he's straightforward, he's honest, he's sexiest man alive. And people hate hearing a, a movie about him. What could that be? I don't know. My guess is the people who wrote the script and directed the whole thing were so badly out of touch with how Americans actually are in this story that they thought they were writing a slam dunk, can't lose, I can't believe we got access to this man, going to be an amazing success. The problem is it turned out to be the equivalent of fake news, but it's worse than that. So one of the ways that you can create, so that's just a little little romp. By the way, I don't like Fauci. I got to be completely honest. His role in funding gain of function research forevermore puts him on my irrecoverable, no probation list. That's just how it is for me until he comes clean about that, until he releases his emails about what he was discussing with non-NIH scientists in the wee hours of January 29th and February through February 1st, 2020, that led to the publication of multiple articles saying that Covid must have come from a natural reservoir. Until he releases those emails, he's actually a suspect in this entire story. But it's important when you want to have a non-confusing state of being to have really crisp symbolism. Symbolism is super important. Imagine the Pope. If you saw the Pope in a dirty wife or t-shirt and you know some some ragged shorts, you might have a different impression than when he's got the big white hat with the gold stuff all over it in his robe and big, big chair. Symbolism matters, and it matters especially within leadership, which is why this all confuses me enormously. Recently, President Biden, they said he met with biz leaders on the debt ceiling. couple things. First, we're going to note the Build Back Better just sort of stuck in the window back there. We're supposed to believe it's a window, but it's a window with an advertising scrawl on it. Weird. You know what? It's not a window. When you back up from this whole thing, this is a movie, a studio set. And it's not even in the White House, right? That's part one. So that's a little odd. But when you go to the wide frame on this, you notice a couple of things. Here's Janet Yellen, Treasury Secretary. Here's Biden. Hold on. Look closely. Zoom right on in. Let's go right in. The Treasury Secretary and the President of the United States are sitting on stackable chairs in front of little tiny desks that are... (laughs) Lilliputian, we shall say. And if you look at his, his actual symbol here, the symbol of the president of the United States, it, it's it's actually off center. The whole thing is cheap and tawdry. Now, I talked with Livio about this in the studio. He comes from the field of uh, being all things about media and movies and things. And by the way, here, let me tell you this. This chair I'm sitting in, I thought about this a long time and I picked it very carefully. I didn't want the wings to come over my back for, for the shoulder line. I thought that if it did come into frame, I wanted it to look solid and earnest. Everything about, I've thought through every single piece of this. I do that. You know they're doing that because politics is all about image. I do it once so I can have a nice looking studio. They did it and specifically chose stackable chairs for the president and the treasury secretary and gave them grade school sized desks with off axis logos if you think all of that's an accident this is probably not a good episode for you because it wasn't they thought about this so that's where we are in this particular story and so the symbolism is designed to confuse because you should you know what you should come away with from this you should come away with a sense of confusion even if you didn't register this think you might have just watched this and just sort of went by and by the way don't forget to notice we've got a little build back better here Right. You might have you you could be forgiven for just sort of like, oh, what what is that? But it's clearly a fake set. And you can see that in a little wider shot. You can see the, the lights sort of hanging off of metal girders up there. This isn't even in the White House. This is across the street in the basement of someplace or something. And it's a fake set. And so this means they had a chance to set the entire set up. They did a great job matching the trim that you would find in the White House and they gave them stackable chairs. Not an accident. So if it's not an accident, somebody's sitting there specifically, you know, there's a stylist, there's a a political handler, there's a team, and they're going, okay, which chairs are we going to use? And you know they didn't go, you know, it's just so far, we couldn't possibly carry some from across the street. Let's just get some stackable chairs from somewhere, right? Hey, send Biffy out, and uh, they must have something to Staples. I don't know, find out what Staples has, right? And that's what they came back with. This is designed on purpose by somebody who thought this through and said, we want to send this message. What is the message being sent and why? It's really important to understand that this is not an accident. And part of it, I have to believe, is about creating a sense of confusion because confusion heightens the susceptibility of a descent into the delusion of totalitarianism. This has got to be done by design, that we have... The president hunched over a grade school sized desk sitting in a stackable chair. <laughs> it's just how it is. And the way you resist this, of course, is you uh, you notice these things and it actually breaks the spell. And that's why I point these things out. So as we go forward into this, you know, here's, here's the deal. If you come by peakprosperity.com, we are talking about these things in a little bit more detail. I'm going to tell you that because none of these things are by accident and there is a program of mass psychosis running, that there's a very large risk to how these things turn out in the future. I think there's economic risks that are quite large. I believe that there are risks beyond that that we need to talk about. And by the way, the best part about coming over to peakprosperity.com is you don't have to be anymore stuck in the land of the insane. Because the insane say things like pilots exercising a contract dispute should be considered domestic terrorists. That is insane. People saying that we're facing the largest constitutional crisis ever you know, because of uh, something that an ex-president is doing off on the side in a, whatever little radio show he's got going on is, is not grounded. And that ungrounding leads to increased levels of mass psychosis. How bad is it? It's so bad that people were denied treatments for COVID, denied them, it's told to go home, come back when your lips are blue, when there's really nothing that can be done. Even though we see that all around the world, and even within the United States and other countries, there are doctors who are doing things that are really obviously working. And this is to the point when you have a mass psychosis that is so profound that people are being injured and killed to advance that psychosis a few steps further. You know that you're in a pretty dangerous situation. So that needs to be talked about. We have to talk about it directly. I'm saying as much as I feel like I can out here in you know, with the watchful eye of big tech. It's getting serious, folks. The dress rehearsal's over, and it's game on. So come by Peak Prosperity if you want to talk about that some more. We've got a special deal running here that you can click on. Always find this stuff down in the descriptions below. This is an all-hands-on-deck moment, and so I have part two of this is coming up. Right after this, you watch this, you can click over to peakprosperity.com. Part two, we are going to be talking about this, but in more detail. And boy, I got some other things to mention and talk about there. So come on by Peak Prosperity. Love to see you there. Hey, for all the new people who have showed up, it's been fantastic having you. You are amazing folks. It just dropped right into the conversation as if you'd been part of our tribe for a decade. It's been amazing. So let's keep doing that. And by the way, this is happening all over the world. People are waking up. Be part of the waking up. Do what you can wherever you do it. Know that I support you in that. And if there's any way I can help you do what you need to do to help wake more people up, let me know. I'm working with all kinds of people, helping them, fashion arguments for local governments, state governments, federal lawsuits, you name it. There's all kinds of things going on. So, hey, join the fight. It's part of what you need to be doing and be great to see you wherever you're doing that. But if you're looking for a place to call home and, and check it out for a while, come by Peak Prosperity. That's all I have for you today. It's been good to spend this time with you. See you next time.